Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, OMG, happy Monday. Back in the studio. Guess who's back? back I made it back. out alive. I can't, you know what? It's so funny, like I knew you were in Alaska, but I just said it was like, <laughs> were you in Alaska or Antarctica? Like, which one is it? I don't understand. But did climate change... Does it affect Alaska? It, does. it affects everything. <laughs> I know, but... Well, yeah, there's some glaciers that all of the ice is melting to wow. the point where some of the treks, like the hikes that people used to do, they can't do it anymore. Like so is it literally, greenery now? It becomes more, yeah, I guess luscious in that way, but yeah. also desert. Like when they when wow. it melts on the... It's on rock. So it basically becomes like desert rock, like... Uh, ground you know it's not even because uh trees can't grow on ice Wow. There you go. That was your uh, science lesson Sada, today. I guess you did not enjoy Alaska. <laughs> no, no, no. It hasn't happened yet. That's why you got to visit these places now before yeah. the whole world falls apart. No, it was beautiful. It was cool. I, I posted a bunch on my Instagram at Cheryl Lazar. You can go check it out. Uh, but definitely highly recommend it. I felt like I was literally away from reality. Well, we're so happy to have you back. Yes. Oh, my God, because I hated doing the show by myself. Not going to lie. No, it was actually really fun. I was just really tired. You know, we've got to bounce back into the swing of We're things. getting back into it. Is Alaska our same time zone? It's an hour behind. Oh, okay. So not bad. It's you not got, that okay, bad. I'm feeling good. it. I got back this morning and I'm jumping right in. And this is interesting because we're going to be talking about a subject matter that really connects to all of this. How much free time do you need to be happy? That's at 425 p.m. Pacific, 725 p.m. Eastern. Plus, a, a comedian who just got COVID has a message for the unvaccinated. All right. Yeah, that's in the T-Report in a moment. First, let's get into some what's trending this hour. President Joe Biden honored activists and service members who worked to repeal the discriminatory don't ask, don't tell policy that prevented uh, gay, lesbian, bisexual people from serving openly in the military. The law passed by uh, Congress under former President Bill Clinton was actually repealed 10 years ago today under former President Barack Obama. Biden voted against it as a senator and championed the push for repeal on behalf of the administration. So 10 years since the right thing was done. Now... Pfizer said its COVID-19 vaccine is safe and effective for children ages 5 to 11, and it will seek FDA authorization soon. Here's Dr. Liana Wen. 
Nearly half a million new cases in children in the last two weeks. 29% of the new infections are in kids, and parents want to do everything we can to protect our kids. And so, knowing that the vaccine is safe in this younger age group, the 5 to 11 group, and also knowing that it appears to be effective, at least based on antibody response. We know thus far for adults that the antibody response does correlate with effectiveness in preventing disease. We do want to see those data eventually, but I also think that it's important for Pfizer to submit to the FDA soon and for us to get more information about when this vaccine can be avail- can be made available. I think- now, also the White House response coordinator for COVID-19, Jeff Zients, announced that the Biden administration will allow fully vaccinated travelers from around the world if you've been wanting to travel. To, well, if you're, I guess, listening to us from outside the U.S., <laughs> to enter the U.S. beginning in November. So that's something new because a lot of places aren't allowing the U.S., but we're allowing other people here. Fully vaccinated travelers will need to complete pre-departure testing within three days prior to their departure to the U.S. They will not be required to quarantine upon their arrival. So why don't you come visit us? Yeah. All Maybe right. not. <laughs> that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news? Well, speaking of COVID, Chris Rock has tested positive for COVID-19 oh. and is urging his followers to get vaccinated. It is time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So the stand-up comedian announced the news on Twitter literally on Sunday and insinuated that his symptoms are on the more severe side. He said, hey, guys, I just found out I have COVID. Trust me, you do not want this. Get vaccinated. Of course, many fans responded to his uh, tweets with well wishes, but some wondered if he hadn't been vaccinated despite advocating for it. However, in May... Um, he joked on The Tonight Show that he cut the vaccination line in order to receive the jab. And so he probably, we don't know for sure, but it seems like he is vaccinated. And he's just experiencing the symptoms on a more severe side. We're sending him tons of love because mm. that's really, really intense. Um, now, that's your T-Report for right now. I got more coming up next hour. I really want to tell you, though, really quickly about I'm Listening, a live two-hour show featuring some of the biggest names in music, sports, and insight from some of the most respected mental health professionals as we strive to destigmatize talking about mental health. Hear personal stories from Little Nas X all the way to Justin Bieber and Willow Smith to so many more. It's happening at... Um, September 23rd from 6 to 8 p.m. for I'm Listening right here uh, and on the Odyssey app. For more information, visit imlistening.org. Okay. I was going to say Chris Rock should ask Joe Rogan for advice. Oh, God, please <laughs> not. Have him on horse pills. <sighs> All right. Well, next up, how election fraud conspiracies are continuing to spread beyond Trump and what are we going to do about it? That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. The election truther movement started with Trump, but the GOP party is continuing where he left off. And we actually saw it with the California recall election last week. Here to share more is Zach Montalero, a state politics reporter at Politico. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Uh, So how are election fraud claims making a comeback? I mean, it feels like they never went away, but maybe we had a moment (laughs) where we didn't hear about them. I don't know. Yeah, so I guess to be clear, Trump never really stopped himself. But what has changed is that we're now we're seeing a shift from uh, post-election claims of fraud that Donald Trump, President or former President Trump and his allies saying 2020 was stolen from me, which, of course, to be clear, not even remotely close to being true, to preemptive claims of fraud. Folks running uh, in this and next year saying that, you know, we got to watch out or this election might be stolen from me in the future. Um, that, that's, a, that's a big shift. 
And it also kind of shows how uh, far hooked into the roots of the Republican Party this kind of election fraud mythology is. Yeah, I mean, this honestly sounds like a win for Democrats, because if Republicans believe this, then they're not going to vote. So how do Republicans who are trying to move forward and trying to win elections move forward, I guess, with this kind of in the atmosphere? Yeah, so that is the question is what is, you know, to purely look at it, political terms, what's the political fallout? The best example we have so far is, of course, Georgia. Uh, Democrats, if you asked folks, you know, two days after the November election in 2020, were Democrats favored to win one, let alone both of the Georgia Senate seats, most people would probably tell you no, probably not, that this would be an uphill climb. Uh, Donald Trump spent the two months between the November election and the uh, January Georgia election basically telling Republican voters not to show up in the polls, that it was rigged, that it couldn't be trusted, uh, and that blew back fantastically in Republican faces. Um, you know, the question is, does that continue on, right? Or is this just a motivating factor for the Republican base? Or is this just what Republican base voters want to hear and they're going to still turn up and vote? Uh, you know, there's no real test case yet, with the exception of Georgia. I don't think you can really count California all that much. Um, but it, it, it's, you know, more of the lowercase the Democratic uh, concerns with it as well. Yeah. And, and mentioned in California, how did we see that play out last week during the recall election? And did it even impact anything? Or are we going to be dealing with this as we move forward, even in California? Like uh, Larry Elder thinks that he should have been voted in. Yeah. So before the California recall election, uh, Larry Elder, who was a radio host, leading Republican candidate, uh, had put up a Web page, you know, more or less saying that there was fraud in this election. And that's why we lost in not so not as any words. Um, Larry Elder was absolutely blown out of the water. Gavin Newsom had a very commanding uh, victory in the recall election. And I guess to Larry Elder's credit, he conceded the election after the fact. There wasn't as much after the fact finger pointing with it. Um, it. It was such a blowout win for Governor Newsom that, like, there's really no one factor that that prevented Republicans from winning there. California is, after all, the most Democratic state. It's a big state. It's, you know, Democrats' home base. Um, so Larry Elder didn't lose because of that Web page, but it, it didn't help, certainly. And, and the, you know, if anything, these fraud claims elevated Larry Elder among the Republicans who voted, among those hardcore Republican base in California. So with, I mean, there's an election literally coming. Well, I guess there's an election coming up here in California for a governor. Like not in midterms, yeah, the next election is what I'm saying. <laughs> but I, I just, I just, for me, I kind of don't even really see where Republicans can really go moving forward from here. Because at this point, it just feels like they shot themselves in the foot. Um, but it does seem like they're not willing to let go of the, the Trump aspect of this party anymore. Is Trump here to stay? Seriously. Yeah, you know, that's the million dollar question. There are certainly Republicans, you know, small C conservative Republicans who don't support Trump. And we hear from those people uh, early and often in a lot of things. We hear from them in a lot. of They're, they're overrepresented in media than I think they are in the Republican base, quite frankly. Um, what we've seen so far broadly is that Donald Trump still has a control over the Republican Party. You know, most members of the House representatives would probably describe themselves as Trump Republicans and not a different type of Republican. Uh, Trump's endorsement is still heavily, heavily sought after by uh, Republican candidates running in Senate races, running in secretary of state races, running wherever, you know, people still Republicans still want Trump's endorsement. This is very much still Trump's party and Trump's Republican Party uh, is very much rooted in this kind of election denialism. Yeah. So are they providing any solutions to this? If, if they're they're saying, oh, there's all this fraud and this is happening. What are the solutions? Well, that's the thing is that like the, solu the solutions and I'm using air quotes on the radio, but the solutions 
uh, that the, the the former president wants is to overturn the election. Obviously, there wasn't fraud. <laughs> Basically, I want what I want. Give it to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this push has also been used as a motivating factor behind some of the more restrictive election laws we've seen. That it's not just, okay, we need to, we're going to roll back the last election. That's not going to happen. I don't think really anyone except for maybe former President Trump and his diehard believers think that is. But this, well, there might have been fraud in the 2020 election. There might have been irregularities, whatever choice of words you want to use. That's been used to um, bolster and back and support some of the restrictions we've seen on the state level uh, since the election, since 2020. Now, even though it hasn't been proven, he basically wants to become like Vladimir Putin, I think. Let's let, let's become like Russia here. He'll keep winning every election. Well, just let me be dead and gone before that happens. <laughs> well, uh, that was Zach Montalero, a state politics reporter at Politico. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Next up, more details on the Pfizer vaccine that's safe for children. That's after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So a low dose of Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine is, it has been announced it's safe and effective in children ages 5 to 11. Dr. Sharon Nashman joins us right now, chief of the Division of Pediatric Infectious Diseases at Stony Brook Children's Hospital. Thanks for being here. Good afternoon. How are you? Good. I mean, this is a pretty big deal because a lot of us have been waiting for some news around vaccines for children. So tell us about the latest and what happens now. Well, this is very exciting news, not only for pediatricians and families, but for the rest of our community. The only way we're going to actually turn the tide on the COVID pandemic is if we have vaccines for everybody. We know that adults are often getting sick, but we have to remember kids are getting infected. And unfortunately, some of them are getting sick and hospitalized too. Having a vaccine for these kids especially the school-age children, which are all hanging out all the time together, is really important. It's great news that Pfizer has this data, and they're going to send it to the FDA, and we're going to take the next steps from there. Which is great. Um, I think we're, the first steps are always the best steps. But I, I do wonder, do you think people who are already kind of hesitant with the vaccine, I mean, adults who are <laughs> kind of experiencing this vaccine hesitancy, are they going to even be the ones to get their kids vaccinated? Well, I think there's a bunch of different issues that we all have to face. I agree there's some hesitancy, but I want to implore parents who have kids We're used to giving our kids vaccines. We give them vaccines all the time because we never want them to get any of those childhood illnesses that we perhaps or our grandparents saw as children. So we're kind of used to giving vaccines to kids, not so much to ourselves as adults. So when you have a child, every child often has a medical provider. And what I tell parents is the best person to talk to is the expert in your child's health. That's your child's doctor. Talk to them about the issues you're worried about. Don't go on social media or talk in the laundromat, but talk to the person who's an expert in your kid. I ask them often, when your car makes a funny noise, what do you do? You go to the expert in your car. You don't go to the mechanic that you've never seen or heard or someone mentioned casually they're great. You want your car to perform well. You want the best for your car because you're driving it all the time. Your child is even more important. So go to the expert in your child, their pediatrician, and say, please tell me, what should I do next? 
Yeah, I mean, that totally makes sense. Unfortunately, the past few years, I think even before this vaccine, there were many issues around uh, even the flu vaccine, right? And so the vaccine narrative specifically for children has been in the air and a a lot of uh, different, I, I guess, conspiracies around it. So what needs to shift now with the narrative around this one? And what are you doing as part of the medical profession to be part of that? So I appreciate that in the past, there's been a lot of missteps, not only with vaccines, but with antibiotics and other medication, even some of our cancer meds, stuff that people thought was going to be good or not good, didn't always turn out so well. But with each of those, not only did we as physicians and as parents learn, but the FDA also learned and they instituted new rules upon new rules upon new rules. And the FDA now that is seeing this information is amongst the strongest providers for good care for not only children, but for adults as well. They're conflict-free. They actually have to look at all the data with an absolute clean eye, looking for everything that could be a problem. So we have to put our trust that they are doing the best and the right thing for their kids as well as for our kids. So while there may have been missteps in the past, We've learned from those and we have moved forward in medicine. Yeah, I mean, I just think that the FDA and, and, and our inability to, to fully confront this misinformation is allowing it to continue, right? Because oh, you think, absolutely. yeah, like people think, oh, but people are just going to trust and like, let's just continue to trust. But there's a gap here. Right. And I think the more information, the more questions and the more we listen to each other, the better we'll be and the smarter we'll be. It's important to ask a question, but it's also important to get to the right person who knows the correct information and that you listen to them and they listen to you. Taking care of children is bi-directional. It's a team approach between the parents and the physician and, of course, the child. It doesn't help us any if we say your child should do this if the kid says, no, I don't want to do that. So when I think about caring for children and taking care of their health, We want to have a dialogue between the parents and their docs and the docs and the parents with both of them listening to each other and not just listening to stuff that may have no real basis in fact. It's all about doing the best job for your kids and listening to the experts who know what to do and how to do it. Okay, well, that was Dr. Sharon Nashman, Chief of the Division of Pediatric Infectious Diseases at Stony Brook Children's Hospital. Thank you again and best of luck implementing this. Thank you so much. Next up, we've discovered the Kardashian mom, you know, Kris Jenner's morning routine. And let me tell you, it's intense after this. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. What's up? We are back. This is Let's Go There on Channel Q. And now, Kris Jenner. I feel like people either know that that's the Kardashians' mom. You might not. I don't know. You might not be keeping up. She is uh, supposedly made $190 million, I think, or is worth $190 million. She's behind all of the women, the Jenners, the Kardashians. She's a powerhouse in her own right. Anyway, it's been revealed what her daily regime is. And let me tell you. It's uh, intense, (laughs) okay? So according to this interview that was done with Pooch, that's an outlet called Pooch. She, um... Yeah, that's uh, Courtney's. Okay. Courtney's is Pooch. Okay, her uh, her daughter Courtney Kardashian has uh, uh, her own outlet called Pooch. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, the the Gwyneth Paltrow's... uh, Goop. Goop, but it's Pooch. So she revealed that she wakes up at 4.30 in the morning. This is the whole breakdown. I want I want to know what you think about this. 4.30 in the morning, wake up. 5 a.m., okay. coffee. 5.30 a.m., checks emails. 6 a.m., treadmill news. 7 a.m., shower. 8 a.m., glam. And then that leads into 9.30 a.m. meetings and the rest of the day. Is that, Doesn't that make sense? crazy? I think that makes sense. I actually think, at first, I was like, 4.30 in the morning. I mean, that is early. Uh, there's a lot of books out there that talks about leaders and when you should wake up and all that. And it's like 5.30 in the morning. A lot of people wake up like 5, 5.30. Yeah. 4.30 is a bit early. But it makes sense considering the breakdown. I mean... And you're leading into glam, which is a nice break. I pretty much wake up now at 5.30. Like, I set my alarm for it. And if I don't... If I'm not out of the bed, out of like right at five thirty, I'm out of the bed no later than six fifteen. What time do you go to bed? Uh, eleven midnight. I feel like that's pretty I, this is the question right? I have for her. I mean, there's some people either can handle six hours to seven hours a night. Yeah. Most people, the average, I think there's an eight hour or so that you need to sleep a night. Like that's healthy. Quote, like unquote. tomorrow, I'm going to have to get up around like. 5.45, 6's again. And yeah, I'll probably go to bed probably around like 10 just to be safe. But for the most part, I think for someone with that type of schedule, yeah. first particularly, yeah. But for me, it's been interesting. Ever since I moved out to Los Angeles, which has been about six years at this point, um, I feel like my body automatically adjusted or it was like adjusting to kind of like the central time that I was living on, right? Where I was naturally waking up at like 6 a.m. Well, you're staying on East Coast time. Like yeah, meaning it's 9 a.m. That makes sense. Yeah, that's I guess. Great. Yeah, right? I guess that's not bad, right? But I think for here, I think most people, once you get adjusted to West Coast time, you're like, you're sleeping in until about 8 Ugh. or 9, which is ridiculous. I feel like that's a lost day at that point. Yeah. I, I feel like that's you're either so a morning person or a nighttime person, but like overall, I'm, I'm definitely not, as much a morning person. Like, if I wake oh, up I'm at 5, if I even wake up at 6 a.m., I'll be like, 
mm, can I stay in here for 15 more minutes? Really? Like, I am the cuddle bug. My boyfriend says, like, I am the cuddle master. I love cuddling or just like. Oh, I miss not hearing about your boyfriend for like once. <laughs> We're back at it. <laughs> but he wakes up at, he does do the fourth, he does or 5 a.m. Let me tell you that. Isn't he like Paul. That is really like, difficult. What's the, what's the lumberjack that. <laughs> I feel like Chris is basically a lumberjack. <laughs> my boyfriend, yeah. Paul, he, what, what's his name? Do you know what I'm talking about? I have no idea what you're oh talking about. Oh, my God. About. It's an old tale. Paul the lumberjack. Well, uh, anyway. Paul I, Bunyan. I, I, I th- Come on, people. I thought you were going to say Bundy, and then I was no, like, the Bundy Bundy the murderer. Paul Bunyan is like a, uh, he's like an American and Canadian folklore. How okay. do you not know about Paul Bunyan? I feel like it That's sounds familiar. That's who Chris familiar. is. But Chris is not as tall. He's not, yeah, he's not he's a still. So, I feel like that. I feel like now hearing this from uh, th- this really productive person. So, Chris Jenner is a highly productive, successful person. Well, it duh. makes you think, like, do you need to be waking up at four thirty in the morning to be successful? Maybe to make money. Yeah, I think once you start getting a lot of things on your plate, there's. Yeah, you have to kind of start to make your time more organized for you to be able to accomplish more things. Like that meme that always says, you know, Beyonce has 24, the same amount of hours as you do too, but she also has more resources. Like Kris Jenner has a lot more resources to be able to get up at 4.30 a.m. to be able to like feel refreshed and get glam and all these things. Like us normal folks. I don't know, you know, if you can't afford Starbucks every five days or, you know, you're just not probably making it. Well, like I imagine... Chris Jenner having an assistant waking her up with her coffee in the Probably, morning. exactly. So that that makes like, more sense. Turning for on her. the remote remote control curtains, uh, curtains that go up, yeah. and like special mood music coming on and lighting. That you makes know, sense. The whole thing. So that makes sense for a person at her stature to to be like waking up at four thirty because everything is like catered. Exactly. Well, let us know how early you wake up. I want to know how productive you folks are. Or maybe unproductive, you still wake up that early. At LGT Shows, where you can find us on social media. Next up, how Texas's abortion law could impact same-sex marriage. That's next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, we are back and we've got a lot coming up, including some great music here on Channel Q. But it is Hispanic Heritage Month. And we're going to be discussing the meaning behind Latinx, which is something that more and more people are throwing around, but a lot of folks aren't sure when or even if to use it. So we're breaking that down in 30 minutes. Plus, how the Teletubbies and Lil Nas X are coming together on social media with a twist. That's in... I'm actually not doing that story. But, I mean, it's a funny story, but I'm just tired of people talking about, you know, how... People just being homophobic to him all the That's time. That's true. So I'm kind of over it. I but like there's a funny Emmys moment that is hilarious. Okay, so we're yeah. getting into, uh, yeah, Emmys stuff in the tea report in a moment. <laughs> yes. So stick around for that. Trying to catch up here. Let's get into some what's trending this hour, though, right now. Former Texas Solicitor General Jonathan Mitchell, who played a key role in writing the new Texas ban on abortions after the six-week pregnancy, argued in a Supreme Court brief that the decisions that legalize same-sex marriage and, and relations in all 50 states should be overturned also with Roe v. Wade, the historic Supreme Court decision that recognized the right to abortion. This guy is coming after it all. Uh, So this is something that is being reported about right now. And of course, 
uh, advocates and activists are continuing to fight back. And we should actually continue to cover this this week because um, its implications on same-sex marriage could be huge. Now, Senate Democrats will probably not be able to include a path to legalizations for millions of immigrants in their $3.5 trillion bill after the Senate parliamentarian ruling Sunday night. Here is Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. So many. Last night's ruling was extremely disappointing. It saddened me. It frustrated me. It angered me because so many lives are at stake. But make no mistake. The fight continues. Senate Democrats have prepared alternative proposals. We'll be holding additional meetings with the parliamentarian in the coming days. I've worked very closely with my colleagues, including Chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Senator Durbin, as well as... Now let's move on to SpaceX and Elon Musk, who completed a historic private space flight on Saturday. And uh, CEO Elon Musk took a jab at President Biden, who didn't say anything about it. So one of Musk's 60 million Twitter followers asked him, saying, like, why did the president not acknowledge the four newest American astronauts who helped raise hundreds of millions of dollars for St. Jude? What's your theory on why that is? And Musk replied, he's still sleeping. Uh, So basically the SpaceX safely returned its Crew Dragon spacecraft from orbit yesterday. The capsule carried the four members of the Inspiration4 mission back to Earth after three days in space. They actually did something good. They weren't just going to space for the sake of going to space. They raised $200 million for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Uh, and, well, they were trying to. They ended up raising $160.2 million, and Musk pledged to contribute $50 million personally. So, you know, they're not just spending the money to go to space. They're spending the money, but then they're also donating money. <laughs> Anyway, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so this moment that happened after the Emmys was quite hilarious. Um, It's time for the Tea Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. Now, we're talking about the Emmys and Emmy So White later on in the show, but The Crown had a really good night. Um, Gillian Anderson, who played Margaret Thatcher in this new recent new season, The Crown, won for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Drama and was asked a very bizarre question following her win. Thank you. So, just to kind of continue with the whole Margaret Thatcher thing, first question, has... If you've talked to her about this role at all. Uh, well, I, um, I, I have not spoken to Margaret. Um... Which was a really nice way of putting it. Um, because I guess it, I guess that would seem like a fair question. Um, but Margaret's dead. She's been dead since 2013. I mean, I feel like a reporter or journalist should know this. Yes, right? Like, she died, of a, unfortunately, of a stroke at the age of 87. Um, and it's just wild that... And it's really nice of Jillian not to, like, have um, basically, like, said something at that time. Because she could have been like, um, I don't know if you know this, but she could have really I embarrassed like her. She, that, well, it ended up embarrassing this woman anyway. I feel like she just I mean, should have said, oh, you might not realize, but she has passed. But thanks for the question. Yeah, and her, <laughs> I mean, my thing is this lady that is the, the reporter, her name is everywhere. She's a part of the American Urban Radio Networks. Her name is Tanya Hart. And, um, yeah. <laughs> 
It's just really funny because this clip has gone viral out of all Aww. of the the Emmy stuff that's going on. We have more tea report coming up next, though. I do want to do I'm listening because I'm listening is something that you got to be um, ready for. It's it's literally something that's so amazing. It's a live two hour show featuring some of the biggest names and music and sports and insight from some of the most respected mental health professionals as we strive to destigmatize. Talking about mental health, hear personal stories from Imagine Dragons, Billie Eilish, Lizzo, Little Nas X, and many more. This year has brought challenge and uncertainty to many lives, but you are not alone. It's okay to not be okay. So join us Thursday, September 23rd from 6 to 8 p.m. for I'm Listening right here and on the Odyssey app. For more information, visit imlistening.org. Well, uh, next up, what Kim Kardashian gifted her friend that has many wondering, is that just too much? How expensive of a gift is too expensive to give someone? Mm. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So have you ever had a friend that gifted you like a really expensive gift? Does that mean that you need to give them back something that expensive? Does it make you uncomfortable? Well, it makes producer Vanessa uncomfortable. She's having some issues here. And actually... um, We're asking this because Kim Kardashian, I guess, gifted her friend Stephanie Shepard a $25,000 Hermes bag for her birthday, bringing up the very question, like, how much is too much to gift a friend? Or if you're really rich, are there no rules? Um, Well, if you're rich and you (laughs) hang around rich circles, then, like, who cares? But um, because I think that's not really crossing their mind. But I think if you are doing a gift exchange with a group of different people who are different around the financial like spectrum oh yeah then yeah there has to be some rules established and you can't expect the same amount that you're giving i mean if you're giving a gift you're giving a gift because you want to give it away you're not giving it because you're expecting something and if you are then don't give me a gift um for me i was raised on not having not like having anything like don't allow people to kind of have anything over your head, whether it be like you owing folks and all these things, which can be a little toxic, let's be honest. Um, but I think that point still stands if you think about the idea of if someone is giving you something and y'all are giving each other gifts, you want to give the kind of like the same idea, which honestly, I think what's really important around like Christmas time, where mm-hmm. if y'all doing Secret Santa or something, yep. you set a budget. You said like, don't do anything over $50. Well, usually people do that. If you right. go to any... Uh, parties or do a secret Santa they usually say like bring something what's that game you do not the secret Santa the other game that, white, uh, the, where you go in a circle and you could steal things oh, white the, elephant white elephant uh, the white, white elephant, elephant gotta be white I ain't never seen a white hey. elephant hey <laughs> gray elephant come on that's a joke oh my god <laughs> yeah, guys I it just went over I was, head to the I, no I was laughing no you did it was not an laugh. internal laughter Vanessa laughed <laughs> so I think for that, I've seen the rules. Yeah, you yeah. you can't spend over $10, maybe $20, okay? No, I mean, the most I've ever played is, like, you can't spend over 50 Yeah. That's a good gift. What what are you getting for $20? Gag That's like lines. a gag gift? Then don't give me a gift. That's you, stupid. The dollar I'm gonna store. I'm going to be upset if you give me a gag gift. But I think, yeah, you should not expect, if you go out there and splurge on one of your people... Because you want to, that's on you. Don't expect them to do that same thing because I don't think that's fair. And I, it, it starts to feel like, well, what did you do this for? Like, was it an ego thing? I, I agree. I think if you're going to give something. And I, I think if you're the friend that has a lot of money, you're either a giver or you're not. Right? You're the friend that wants to support your other friends and take everyone out. 
And I appreciate those folks, right? The worst is when you have a really rich friend who expects you to do everything they're doing and pay for that without putting it out there. That's when it becomes unfair. But $25,000, I mean, for Kim Kardashian, what? Is that like $50 for us? Oh, God. That's probably like $10 or like, no, I think it's I think it's like $250 for us is no. $25,000. $250 is still a lot of money. Oh, my God. I wanted to take back a tip because I accidentally tipped too much by accident. So you 20%. know I'm still there for. <laughs> so I just, I'm just saying, you know, like that's still very expensive. I think $25,000 for her is like, $25 for me. Yeah, add some zero. That is true. Like, that's that's g- it's genuinely what that is. And if I'm like giving like somebody a $50 gift card, like a gas gift card, like that must mean I, I did some extra gigs and I'm out here. I got a little coin in my pocket, if I'm being honest. And so I just think you have to be considerate of that. And you shouldn't want or, or you shouldn't expect someone to do the same thing. If they're giving you a gift, that means they're giving you a gift that they thought about and that they could afford. Exactly. But then there's those people that are just hard to gift. My housemate is so hard to gift. Anything you gift, gift him, he re-gifts to someone else. I've seen him do it. <laughs> so then That's at this point, I'm like, like, I'm like, why am I going to give you anything? Except like alcohol. Up. I bought him some vodka from Alaska. That I definitely oh, know. That's he'll, a good, he'll, now that's a good just, gift. He's I'm a drinker. Just, yeah, vodka from around the world. That's a good gift. Supporting his alcohol problem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, coming up next, what Latine means and how it's different than Latinx. We're breaking it down after this. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, it's Hispanic Heritage Month, and a lot of people use the term Latinx, right? Right. It's an inclusive term to use. Yes, but there's a new one that's being added to our lexicon. I don't know if it's new. I just feel like we have. We've discovered it. Latine. And here to share more is David Bowles, an award-winning queer Chicano writer, activist, university professor. To break it down, thank you for being here. Hey, I'm glad to. Hi, Shira. Hi, Ryan. Hi. Hi. So can you tell us the difference, just for those who don't know, between Latinx and Latine? So Latine is the way Latinx has been pronounced in most Latin American countries for a while now. Um, The X was something that was used mainly by like feminists and anarchists in the 80s and 90s to push back against the fact that the default, the grammatical default in Spanish is the masculine, both in the singular, if you don't know the gender of the person you're talking about, or in the plural, if it's a, mi- a group of, of like mixed gender group. And in the signs that they would use at protests, they would cross that O out 
to show you know that they're feminists that, that that they're not they're not just going to accept you know that grammatical default and eventually the X just kind of like got absorbed into U.S. Uh, queer Latinx um, discourse. Um, but it's something that started there, but throughout Latin America, because it's really hard to pronounce the X in the middle of a word, or if there's an S or some other letters after it, it was pronounced Latine, the E being uh, like this neutral vowel that you find at the end of some words in Spanish, like estudiante for student, mm-hmm. um, that E has this kind of like neutral, almost non-binary kind of feel about it. Um, and so that's the way it was beginning to be pronounced. And now it's even dispelled that way so that you don't. You see less and less of the X in Spanish writing throughout Latin America, like non-binary or queer inclusive writing. Yeah, I mean, there's always been this conversation um, where there's hesitancy of using like the term Latinx or people feel that it's unnecessary because it might change the whole language. What do you say <laughs> to that? Like, what, what do you think about that idea? Yeah, no, I mean the um i understand where it's coming from but it's not necessarily coming from a very good place it's either coming from uh, from my perspective as a criticano uh, either as a place of like like internal colonization and acceptance acceptance of like this language that was imposed on indigenous ancestors to begin with or it's coming from a place of profound queer media which is unfortunately one of the aspects of the latinx culture in the united states i grew up in the in the 80s and 90s in deep south texas in a mexican-american community as a closeted queer man and i'm telling you that it's <laughs> it's a difficult thing to be and especially when i was younger um and so to me a lot of the, the that this backlash has been it comes from a place of of distrust and dislike of queer people and that's really really unfortunate well there you said it <laughs> Well, no, I think it's really interesting because I, 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 there's been so much of that conversation that's being had, and I think it, it's it's one of those things where people do have to kind of maybe look inward and, and figure out what that is. But often, I think it may just be because people just have a hard time with change, and this idea of like yeah. how language evolves sure. is kind of a normal thing that we see, and it's like it's, they're not necessarily would be considered like homophobic. They're just just like, well, this is the language I've always known. How do I just like switch it up all of a sudden? Certainly, there are a lot of people that for for whom that's true as well. I mean, the the most radical pushing back and trolling on social media is coming from these people that are uh, are definitely you know attacking it from a, a bad place. Oh, yeah, but I think sure. the general confusion among the Latin American uh, you know community is that it is unusual. But for the most part, once it's explained to them, the majority of people that I know understand it and accept it, and even if they may not use it, don't get their feathers ruffled by other people using it. I tell people, just pretend for a moment that I speak a different dialect of Spanish than you do. Just Mm -hmm. like in Mexican Spanish, for a light bulb, we say foco, and in other countries, they say bombilla. It's the same thing. I say say Latinx, and you say Latino, and we can both just, like, live with that. I don't understand why it's so problematic for people. Yeah, but what about when you reference something, because this language and other languages are masculine and feminine, how are you supposed to, like, other words, how are you supposed to explain those? Like, if I was, yeah, saying... Right, right. I mean, anything that's non-human, you know, the regular rules apply. So, I mean, uh, uh, (laughs) la mesa continues to be la mesa, the table, right? It continues to be feminine. But when you're dealing with human beings, obviously, we don't come just in male and female flavors. We come in lots and lots of in-between flavors. And, and um, it's really important 
that we'd be able to signal that in our language. And if we haven't, you know, in the past, it's just been because there hasn't been the kind of acceptance of, you know, nonconformity with those conservative gender um, roles. And, uh, and, and now that we are more accepting of these kinds of things, language is going to have to come along. What's really ironic is that Spanish replaced a whole bunch of indigenous languages that did not make the di- distinction between male and female, like Nahuatl, the, the major language of Mexico that was spoken by the Aztecs and, and other Nahuatl people. Huh. They just had one pronoun for all humans. <laughs> so it was, uh, 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 there were not the same kinds of issues. I have a question. So are, are we seeing Latinx pop up across other Spanish-speaking countries? Like, Because I always wonder, how, how does American kind of like, and I don't know if this is the right word to use, but kind of American way of like colonizing certain subcultures and cultures kind of impact the way that we move forward? Like if Latinx feels like it's a kind of an, it originated here in, a, in America because of queer, and, and that's another conversation that I feel like queer is also kind of might be white-centric as well. But anyway, yeah. um, I, I wonder... Is Latinx adapted in these other Spanish-speaking uh, countries? Are like just well, as I mean, much, like especially when it comes yeah, to queer well, I mean, identified people? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a really a great question. Um, it, it is in the queer community, but the complication is that outside of the U.S., people don't usually refer to themselves as being uh, Latinx or Latine or Latinos because they refer to themselves in the name of the country that they're in, right? So. Um, it's a little instead of having a Latinx. If you're in in Mexico, the question is: Do you call? Do you say Mexicanos or do you say Mexicanes with an e? Mm. And so, I mean, it's a, it's similar issues, but the term itself, Latinx or Latinx, as, as I pronounce it, more of a Spanish way of pronouncing it, is something that's uniquely uh, U.S.ian mm-hmm. because it's fun, in the U.S. where Latinx people live yeah. outside of the U.S. They're Latin American people living in Latin American countries that have their specific, you know, ethnicities and ethnonyms or whatever. So it's 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 complicated. The X is still used, but the word Latinx itself outside of the borders of the U.S. is not as important. So interesting. Mm-hmm. Which is like, why don't we then just ask someone, where are you from? Like, where are you from? Because Latin, it becomes an umbrella term, or Latinx, even. Yep. But it's, it, it's, like that, saying, uh, it's like saying people of color, yeah. or BIPOC, or, you know, it's like, yeah. it's, it, it, there's, there are moments when it's useful, but there are moments when it's erasing. And so each individual person, like, I'm a, I'm a Chicano, I'm, I'm male, I'm, you know, I'm a man, I consider, that's, that's my right. gender. And so it's easy just to call me Chicano, calling me, saying, David Bowles, Latinx author, and prof- that would be silly because, like, I, I'm Chicano. <laughs> There's no reason for you to say Latinx for me. Um, uh, you know, calling calling a, a black woman um, a, a woman of color is kind of foolishness. She's a black woman. Call exactly. her a black woman. That's why BIPOC yeah. is never going to be useful, in my opinion. But thank you so much. Yeah. Yes, we appreciate you. You're so good. We, we you hope to have you back. Down. Yeah. That was uh, David Bowles, an award-winning queer Chicano writer, activist, university professor. So Thanks good. again. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Next up, this restaurant tried to enforce a mask ban, and it went horribly wrong. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. As some states and even restaurants have the mask mandates, some restaurants are actually doing the opposite. They have an anti-mask mandate or a ban, a mask ban, where if you go into a restaurant and you are wearing a mask and following guidelines, 
you will get kicked out. Ooh, yeah, and, and this happened to a Texas family who was kicked out of a restaurant for wearing a face mask. Meanwhile, the family then told the owner who kicked them out that they were doing this because their son is immunocompromised. And even after that, the owner said it does not matter. And he continued to enforce the mask ban. That is insane. Like, the fact that you are a restaurant owner, you're like, don't you come up in here wearing no mask is just insane to me. Even if it wasn't, by the way, a pandemic. Like, if I want to wear a mask, let me wear a mask. Yeah. You know, in other places, like, if you have uh, allergies or, yeah, of course, you're immunocompromised, you have asthma. Like, it's pretty normal to wear a mask in other places. It's not ideal, obviously. I mean, even here it was normal. normal. I mean, you go to K-Town, everybody wearing a mask. It actually keeps you from getting sick. I mean, in certain cultures, people already wear masks. Well, because they've been forced to, unfortunately, because of the air in the environment. Yeah, and also... I mean, I was also talking about here as well. Oh, yeah. And it's a fashion statement. Uh, I don't don't know. There's there's some good accessories. The mask accessories. But this owner said, this is political and I need you to take your mask off. And then he added, I feel the overall reaction with masks is ridiculous in the U.S. right now. Uh, and then he continued to tell this to the CBS affiliate who reported about this, saying that it doesn't matter. He, he wanted to enforce it. And so this couple came out and is they're telling their story. But, you know, this becomes challenging. I get it. Some people don't agree with this and they're sick of it and they want to fight back against the establishment. But it's like if people want to do this and that's they're setting their boundaries and they feel comfortable wearing masks going somewhere let someone wear a mask like what is wrong with you i mean this is where it gets did you did it tell you what type of restaurant it was it's called (laughs) it's a funny question it's called hang time oh i wonder is it american hang time Hang time. Is it barbecue? Sports bar and grill. Gross. Who wants to go there anyway? Hang time. Sports grill and bar. Oh, my God. By the way, I did say sports bar and grill without even knowing. And it oh, is you says, did? And yeah, it's it a sports grill and bar. bar. And it wow. says, always a good time. But is it? Is it really always a good time? Yeah, For my, who? My thing is, I'm not interested. I, I mean, I'm not really trying to go to a sports bar anyway. Um, and so this you know isn't my. Oh, did you know Hang Time was a a sitcom back in 1995, and it was uh it was around for six seasons. Who was in this? I feel like I did remember. I, I it was like on TGI Fridays or something. Oh wow. Anyway, I don't know if you've encountered this uh, uh, opposite mask ban. If you've been forced to take off your oh, mask like because cut. it makes people feel uncomfortable at LGT shows where you can slide into our DMs, let us know. Your thoughts on everything that we're covering. Uh, but coming up next, Emmys So White. Travel Anderson joins us next hour to discuss what you missed or perhaps didn't miss at the Emmys. And more headlines after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We have not given uh, you a breakdown of the Emmys yet, but we're going to be doing that in 30 minutes with the one and only Travel Anderson joining us on the show. So that will be exciting because there's a lot that happened or maybe not enough, actually. At the Emmys. But we're also going to be talking about Ashley Graham and how she discovered she was pregnant in the T-Report in a moment. So stick around for that. Oh, I like this story. It's so cute. Uh, but first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. 
Former Representative Beto O'Rourke is getting ready to join the race for governor of Texas in 2022. That's according to Axios. And um, is, he's expected to make an announcement later this year. New polls suggest that current Governor Abbott is more vulnerable than ever before. The governor's job approval rating has been falling sharply with only 45 percent of Texans approving of his performance as governor. That's according to new poll by the Dallas Morning News and the University of Texas at Tyler. So just to give you context, his approval rating before the the pandemic was at 59 percent. And now it's a 45. (laughs) But Beto might have to go against Matthew McConaughey, who or is it McConaughey? I always mispronounce his last name, who has been putting his hat in the ring uh, since Beto lost a Senate race to Republican Ted Cruz in 2018 by just over two percentage points and launched a failed presidential bid in 2020. O'Rourke has spent his time advocating for voting rights. So that'll be exciting to see if he can make it as governor. Now, COVID-19 has killed about as many Americans as the 1918-19 Spanish flu pandemic did, approximately 675,000. And the population of the U.S. at the time was about one third the size of what it is today. That's according to numbers that came out today. Ben and Jerry's always doing cool stuff. They've unveiled a new flavor to promote the People's Response Act, a legislation proposed by Representative Cori Bush that seeks to curb the disproportionate share of police violence against people with mental illnesses and other health complications. They launched the ice cream Changes Brewing today. It's a limited batch flavor of cold brew coffee ice cream with marshmallow swirls and fudge brownies. Yeah, Doesn't that sound so good? Jabari Paul, who is the company's U.S. activism manager, uh, said that the company's declaration of support for the legislation and its continued commitment to advancing racial justice is here and also through this new flavor of ice cream. So kudos to Ben and Jerry's for always doing important things. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Oh, my God. Imagine finding out that you are having twins Mm -hmm. um, out of nowhere. Um, That would give me a heart attack. That's like my biggest nightmare, to be honest. I feel like my whole family, no one's had twins, and I'm just waiting. That it's going to happen. Okay. Well, model Ashley Graham, she just revealed to the world the moment she was shocked to find out that she was having twins. It's time for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. So, yeah, she had one, no clue that she was pregnant. Um... And I actually had no clue that she was pregnant either. I felt like she just had a baby. Um, Well, apparently, she didn't know either. Here's the moment she found out. (laughs) I guess two confirmed tests mean that I'm pregnant. Is that twins? Yeah. That's a penis. That's a penis. And Tim. And that's a girl. No, that's a boy, too. You're joking me. You're kidding me. I'm sorry. I would freak out. There's just no way. And she's like way too big at this point to do anything else with them. (laughs) If you think about it. I mean, it's there. It's just, you have nothing to do. Like, yeah, to think that you're just having one kid and that's a lot. And then two, you're going from a family of three to And she already has a boy. So she's there now going to have three boys in the household. Which I think that's why she was kind of excited if it was going to be like for uh, paternal twins where it was like a boy and a girl. Can you turn the music back on? Yeah. That, that is something that I always think about because I've waited so long to have kids. Like I'm the last of my friends yeah, yeah. and my family. Everything. Wow. Well, um, and, and we've had a tw- twins in my family but no one else has had twins. 
Well, sure, you may be having twins. That Imagine. is your tea report. Imagine. I got more I'm covering next hour, so stick around. Well, next up, how much free time do you need to be happy? We're going to be getting into that next uh, with an expert on the topic after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. The pandemic has pushed many of us into an early midlife existential crisis. Some of you might be questioning how you want to work and what you actually want to spend your life doing. And now there's... Is this personal? <laughs> is this like an entry in your diary? <laughs> like, who is this? <laughs> what? I haven't gone through that. But Have you been telling us something. That? I feel like I, I I'm, definitely... All right, so... I'm not going through that. <laughs> I'm not going through any existential crisis about who I am. <laughs> Okay, so not to speak yes, for sir. everyone, <laughs> but some of us. Wow, I was like, wow, why not go I feel into like this? Producer Vanessa and I have had this conversation. Well, okay, two people in the room. <laughs> two out of three, to be clear. Uh, but I know that we're not alone. Yes, not at all. No, for sure. <laughs> um, and here to share more because there is a study around this and actually what free time means and what free time makes you happy. Cassie McGillner-Holmes joins us, professor at UCLA's Anderson School of Management. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Um, now, this new study shows there's a balance, though, of all of this in terms of spe- what we want to spend our life doing. Researchers found that more leisure time, the very thing that many say they're craving, isn't always a good thing. And this paper was actually inspired by the work you're doing. What have been the key findings? Yeah, so what we were looking at is what is the relationship between the amount of discretionary time we have? So how much time in your day-to-day life do you have to spend on what you want to do as opposed to all of those hours you spend on what you have to do? And we looked at the relationship between that and people's happiness or their life satisfaction. And what we found was an inverted U-shape, sort of a rainbow shape um, in our data which shows that when people have too little time, they are less happy. So looking at that sort of one end of the um, rainbow. Um, and, uh, and the reason for that is makes sense is mainly that people feel stressed. When we have too little time to do what we want to do, we feel stressed and therefore unhappy. But what our data also shows is that more time is not always better. And actually, after a certain amount of time in our uh, amount of discretionary time in our days, we saw a negative relationship such that more having more time to do what you want is associated with less happiness, less satisfaction. And the reason for that is because um, it produces a lacking sense of productivity and purpose. Yes. So for me, I, I think that's kind of what jumped out for me in this moment where it was like, if I feel like I have too much time on my hand, yep. I'm feeling like, yeah, I'm not being productive and I want to change that. But I, I do wonder when it comes, if you have, if you experience some level of privilege in your life where you can kind of have this, the sense of, well, I have productivity, but I also have this sense of like time where I can just like take off and nothing in my life will collapse because I'm doing that. How does that kind of impact this? Because I think that really kind of informs your experience in that way. Yeah. So what we found is that there is a sort of middle ground, (laughs) right, where there's actually not a relationship between the amount of time you have. And that is what we're like looking to achieve. And I do want to point out that the sort of too much time effect 
it's not about not taking time off on your weekends or not, you know, taking vacation. It's that effect is basically picking up on the day in and day out. Do you basically have your days absolutely open to do whatever you want to do? So I definitely don't take this research to suggest that you should not take full days and maybe even, you know, full week off for vacation. But what it does suggest is that when we have too little time, that, that, that is also something to remedy. And it doesn't take a whole lot to get to that sort of flat part of the data where it's the sort of just right amount. Um, and it's just a couple of hours in the day. So um, it's not like telling you to quit everything, <laughs> you know, and live a life of leisure. Um, it is telling you to make sure that you do carve out and protect some a couple hours a day to do what it is that you want to do. That is good to know. It's hard for a lot of us to find, but I, I do think that yes. many of us are starting to be more <laughs> intentional with our times, and that's uh, becoming a domino effect with the people that are hiring us and the companies, and Wait. we're hopefully going to create something new. What is it two to three hours? Yeah, how many hours specifically? Um, so in one of our data sets, it suggests this is a representative sample of Americans, um, and I will say that it's specific to this data um, we found that the flattening out happened more than two hours a day and less than around five hours a day. Hmm. So less than two hours a day, um, we have found that negative effect. Um, and also of more than five hours a day, that's where you see that increasing um, sort of drop off. Um, but I will also point out that for that too much time uh, scenario, you actually don't see that negative effect when people are using their discretionary time in purposeful, productive ways, socially connecting in meaningful ways. So it's really if you spend, even if it's you have a lot of discretionary time, if you spend it in ways that feel fulfilling and worthwhile, then you actually don't see this such thing as too much time. And of course, it sounds like you guys are in my boat where I'm like, oh my gosh, even having a couple of hours a day sounds completely unattainable. But maybe it's not. And so, and this is suggesting that if we can just get to a couple hours a day that we protect our time for ourselves to do what we want, or not even for ourselves, to do what we want to do, perhaps it's with our family, friends, um, et cetera, then that um, is going to make us happier. Okay. Well, that was Cassie Mogilner-Holmes, professor at UCLA's Anderson School of Management. Hopefully you'll be taking this to the businesses or the future leaders to create businesses to create more time for all of us. Uh, thanks so much yeah, for being here. That's the hope. Yeah, thanks so much. Next up, Travel Anderson joins us to break down how the LGBTQ community showed up at the Emmys and how the award show continued to disappoint. That's after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, we had to get into it today. The Emmys last night, which it seemed to make some historic moves with its diverse nominees, but the wins fell flat again with all major acting trophies going to white actors. What we've learned is the Academy or the Television Academy will nominate, um, you know, make the nominations as diverse as possible. But the Emmy voters and the people who vote, all that stuff won't actually vote for the mm. diversity. <laughs> like, won't actually watch anything new besides the the normal five projects that normally win. Like The Crown. Yeah. It's all The Crown. Anyway, Travel Anderson is with us right now, culture journalist, editor, and podcaster, co-host of the Fanti Podcast, as we break it down. Travel, thanks again for joining us. Hey, friend. 
Hey, y'all. Thanks for having me. Let's get into it. Right? Yeah, I mean, you know, we were texting, we were talking, um, and I we I saw your comments online, and this this... I think the one thing that we were excited about was how historic there was a possibility that this show really could have been, right? We had Michaela J. Rodriguez um, nominated, would, would have been the first trans per- lead actress to ever like win an Emmy, you know, that was the first non-binary person, out non-binary person. Um, what? Oh my God, what's his name? From uh, Hacks, uh, Carl Cle- uh, Clemens Hopkins, who was nominated. There were so many historical moments, and it's so it was so disappointing to see it fall flat. I would love to know your perspective on that. What were you thinking while watching the Emmys last night? Yeah, I think, you know, everything was set up for this to be a really enjoyable night for a variety of different types of folks to get kind of their due recognition for the great work that they've done over the last year that like has, you know, kept us all sane in our houses. Um, But, you know, the Indy voters decided to go with, you know, the, the very specific types of content, right? You mentioned the crown already. Um, Ted Lasso, you know, which deserved a lot. Like, I need to get into it. That. Deserved. I'm, I, we can have a conversation about diversity, but when I tell you, when <laughs> when white folks do what they do well, they 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 do well. They do it very well. I'm just saying, and that's a white show that I love. Shout out to Ted Lasso. Well, I will say, I will say one of the one of the things that people often say when we have these conversations is it's not that the white people who win don't deserve or didn't put in great work, but it seems like when the black content or the brown content is up there and it's equally pivotal, equally you know capturing the zeitgeist, those shows don't get the recognition. Right? When's the last time we we saw a black show sweep? award category right that that's not you know rupaul's drag race if you consider rupaul's drag race to be a black show because you know the main boss is a black person (laughs) but you know (laughs) right it's like we just don't see you know like this is this is a year to recognize lovecraft country which was amazing to recognize the underground railroad which was amazing to recognize i may destroy you the actors of i may destroy you michaela cole got a, a writing um, when, which is obviously deserved, but there was just so much more that I think folks were, were expecting and felt let down. Well, we actually have that acceptance speech we want to play. But we have to go after, to a break After first. this. <laughs> so stick around. Um, more with Travel Anderson and the Emmys after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are back talking about the highs and lows many lows of the Emmys last Ugh, night with Travell Anderson, culture journalist, editor and podcaster, host of the Fanti Podcast. Travell, thanks again as always. Welcome back. Not a problem. Well, we were uh, talking about Michaela Cole's acceptance speech and how she won for outstanding writing for a limited or anthology series or movie uh, for I May Destroy You. And here's a moment from that because it was incredible. Writers really um, write the tale that scares you, that makes you feel uncertain that isn't comfortable, I dare you. In a world that entices us to browse through the lives of others to help us better determine how we feel about ourselves and to in turn feel the need to be constantly visible. For visibility these days seems to somehow equate to success. Do not be afraid to disappear from it, from us for a while and see what comes to you in the silence. Thank you to Casey Bloys 
Emmy Gravitt, Piers Wenger, and Various Artists Limited for two of the best years of my life. I dedicate this story to every single survivor of sexual assault. Thank you. Well, Travel Anderson, uh, that was definitely a highlight of the night um, as a black woman w- winning, but there were so many that were left out last night. Very much so. I think, you know, we... There's just been so much great content over the last year. I think one of the best performances was Journey Smollett in Lovecraft Country, right? Um, but yeah. she, you know, didn't win. We didn't even hear much, right, about Lovecraft. I think, if I'm not mistaken, the only actor winner, acting winner was Courtney B. Vance um, at the uh, Creative Daytime Arts Emmys last week. Um, and then obviously Michael K. Williams, who was, you know, everyone thought would win the acting um, category uh, this go around, but quite awkwardly didn't win. I don't know if anyone else sensed that moment uh, during the broadcast. Yeah, I mean, everyone looked devastated when in that room are the people who vote to make sure these things could be different. And so I I wonder, can you break down really what that process is for people who don't know if they're just watching the Emmys being like, well, how do people get, you know, how do people win these awards? Yeah, so I mean, it's actually fairly simple. Any any television show, for the most part, can qualify for any. So anyone who you see, even the folks who are on the Tyler Perry TV shows, theoretically can submit themselves for consideration. You didn't have to bring and them then, um, and then all of the members of the the TV Academy, I think it's twenty five thousand or something insane like that at this point. Um, all of those folks have the opportunity to, you know, nominate folks based on the, the categories that they belong to, whether they're actors or they're writers, directors or whatever. That's how you get the nominations. And then it goes into a second vote after the nominations are secured. And in between the nominations and that final vote, that's when the film studios, the TV studios, you know, they send out screeners, they hold different events to try to get people to watch their stuff. Um, But you're right, the people in that room, the ones who were looking stunned at Michael K. Williams not winning, are the exact same people who didn't vote for him, right? (laughs) Not enough enough of them voted for him, right? So they can't be mad at anyone except themselves. Didn't didn't you feel like last year there was at least more representation in terms of the wins and like what happened? Did we digress? Definitely. Last, I mean, last year, Watchmen was a really big show last year, in particular. Regina King won. Um, Yaya won as well for that. Um, and so, yeah, last year, if I'm not mistaken, there were more black winners in particular in a long time, more diverse winners right. in a long time. And then this year, it was kind of a, a complete regression. Um, but we see this happen when we have, you know, the types of peace that, like, a crown fits under, right? It's period. It's about the British monarchy. Folks eat that up, honey, all right? Also, um, there's no so black of, people in that. But like, Bridgerton you, was about the royals, wasn't it? No, but that's, <laughs> that, I hate, even when people are bringing that into the conversation, it's like, yeah. that's a fictional piece, and I, I guess it is a fictional piece. It was a book and all these things, but when it comes to, like, the crown, you're not really giving actors of color the opportunity to come and, and be Queen Elizabeth because you're trying to tell a real-life story of some sorts, and that's just not happening. And, and they're most definitely not going to talk about the, the white supremacy of it all when it comes to the minor, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I can just say, you know, there's a clip from when um, Viola Davis won her Emmy for How to Get Away with Murder a few years ago that's going back on 
um, on on social media in which she says the only difference between women of color and others is opportunity. And we can't get Emmys for roles that aren't there. Right. And so it goes to the same conversation. You're right. Where where are our, you know, black, the crowd, you know, that type of prestige acting. Mm. Those types of roles just aren't available for our black and brown and queer and trans actors to show that they can do those as well. Definitely. Well, thank you again for joining us. We always love having you on. My pleasure. Y'all be blessed. Love you. Oh, you too. That was Travel Anderson, culture journalist. Also, check out their podcast, Fantai. It's mm-hmm. out everywhere. It's a good all one. All the time. <laughs> now, oh, I was on an episode recently, so you can check that out. You can out. check that Spotify out, too. Spotify named it one of the best episodes, I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. This one goes to Carl Clemens Hopkins, who became the first non-binary person to be nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the 73rd Emmy Awards yesterday. Of course, they didn't win, but they won our hearts with the outfits they wore. Oh the my colors God, so delicious. of like, the non-binary so flag at the Emmys. Literally, this incredible dress. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I mean, I mean, they are just a gorgeous human. And then on top of them showing their sh- like sharing their shoulders, like if this was like ninth, like eighteen twenty five, and I was Amish, his shoulder clavicle would have totally got me there. I thought it already d- it did now. <laughs> oh no, it's still that time. <laughs> I don't know. A good shoulder always does it for me. I know, and I love the hairy chest. Oh, mm. just so delish. Well, according and to did you know what? Oh, what? They are Dr. Um, Nurse James, Dr. James's friend. Oh. Like, they're really close friends. I think I knew that. Yeah. Actually, Dr. James was supposed to get them on the show. We should remind no, Dr. James. I would love that. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to shoot my shot. <laughs> the um, outfit, according to, the, to their stylist, c- celebrates beauty beyond the heteronormative standards, which it definitely does. you got to check it out if you haven't already. And... Uh, they are from Hacks, which I actually have not gotten into the show. Oh my god! But it's everywhere. Get into it! I have so many up. shows: Ted Lasso and Hacks. Yes, and there's so many other beautiful shows out there that everyone should be watching. I think that's the one good thing about uh, these award shows: it always brings the attention to a lot of really amazing content that's out there. Mm-hmm. And just totally. start watching things that you'll be like, I don't know what this is, but I want to watch it. And that's how you stay on top of knowing what everything is. There needs to be more rainy days. Live in California. It's really difficult to stay. As I said, there's no way there's going to be that many rainy days here. <laughs> Come on. Well, that does it for our Yes Queen of the Day. Yeah. Great. And our show today. But we are back tomorrow weekdays here on Channel Q Live, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern. On tomorrow's show, among many other things, we're going to be getting into why everybody's hiring, but nobody's getting hired. What is going on with this broken hiring system? Uh, plus... We've got more things. I actually can't tease the other thing I was going to tease, but you can listen to all our shows and we our, love a secret. Yes, our interviews on our podcast. Just go to the Odyssey app or our podcasts are available and search Let's Go There to catch up on everything. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Now stick around for Love Line with Dr. Chris right after this. Bye, y'all. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 